Please turn with me in your copy of the Scriptures to Philippians chapter 3. Our text today are verses 7 through 11. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. Hear once again the very Word of God. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we come to this portion of Paul's writings to the Philippians, we pray that we too would put on Christ, that we would be abiding in Him and He in us, that we may know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, that we too might attain to the resurrection of life. Father, all these things we desire not in our own strength, as Paul did not desire them in his strength, but rather in the righteousness of Christ, that which is given to us by your Spirit, when our eyes are opened, our ears unstopped, our hearts turned from stone to flesh, that we might receive the true Word of God and respond appropriately repenting of our sins and trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Father, in all this, we ask that you would grant us a full measure of faith. And that that faith would compel us to do the work of your kingdom. For we ask this in the name of Christ, for his sake, and the advancement of his kingdom. Amen. Well, brethren, the culminating day from last week is the first day of this week. This is the case for the Christian and the Church of Jesus Christ each and every week. The culmination of last week comes the first day of the week. What was old passes away. Behold, all things become new once again on the resurrection day. Though today we give our attention to that very first Resurrection Day, in truth, our celebration of that seminal event is remembered each and every Lord's Day of the year, each week. Brethren, from death comes life. And that truth that is lived out each week never grows old for the Christian, who with the Apostle Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Our text today speaks of Paul's desire to know the power of Christ's resurrection, to know the fellowship of his sufferings, and to be conformed to his death. Those may seem to be odd things to desire, but I hope by the end of the sermon you'll desire them as well. Paul answers the question immediately 
excuse me, this prompts a question from us. For what purpose does Paul seek and desire these things? He answers that question immediately in our text. When he says that he may attain by any means the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul understands the necessity of life coming from God. That God is the originator of all life. And the, the one who continues life for eternity. Well, to what greater hope could we aspire? Is there a greater hope? Is not life after death the greatest hope that we could attain? Brethren, the greatest inevitability we face, face in life is death. That is the greatest inevitability in all of life. Who of us can escape it? The answer is none. Save for those who by God's infinite grace are plucked from the curse of sin. And who does that work of grace? Does man pardon himself for his own sin? How absurd. Only God can do such a work. Man does not even understand his own sin except by the revelation of the law of God. And even then, the law merely makes man aware of his miserable condition. It does not pardon him, nor his violations. The psalmist provides the answer in Psalm 94.7 and 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house of faith, we labor in vain who build. It's a work of God. God must intervene for man to have any hope of salvation. Only the powerful can save the powerless. Let me say that again. Only the powerful can save the powerless. Man is dead in his trespasses and sin. And only those who are alive and powerful can save the dead. In all the entire created universe, there is no creature that has that kind of power. Therefore, God, in all his omnipotence, he is the only one who could remedy this problem. There is none other. If God does not rise up to remedy the curse of sin, which results in death, man is entirely without hope. And this brings us to one very important question and two important truths that will be seen in our passage today. The question's not there. The question's mine. The truths that answer the question are in the scriptures. The question is this. How does one go about conquering death? Let me pose it again. How does one go about conquering death? That is today's first point. The question will then be followed up with two great truths that, I will, be, that will become evident as we progress through the sermon. And, and, and those two truths will answer this question. How does one go about conquering death? In the 20th century that has just passed, the world has endured two world wars. The second culminating with two atomic explosions that indiscriminately killed more people than any two single explosions in human history. By my count, which is, by the way, not official, at least 11 nations now have nuclear weapons, with a 12th soon to be added to the list. 
These weapons, not to mention the conventional weapons of every nation, have the ability to kill and destroy the world, the world's population many times over. Mankind is given to death because of sin and its curse. Yet, despite man's best efforts, man has yet to find his own remedy for such death. Man's two best efforts in the same century of the mass destruction were the League of Nations and the United Nations. I will pose the poignant, glaring question that we must ask about these two entities. What have they accomplished in keeping the purpose for which they were created? That is, to end wars on the earth and maintain peace. What have they accomplished? They are utter failures. Man's penchant for death far exceeds his desire and ability to pursue and attain true peace. He loves death more than life. And we are counted among those men. Again, this begs the question, how does one go about conquering such a pervasive, pervasive attribute of man? Death. If I might be so bold, it takes an, immo an immovable design and decree of the sovereign God, executed by his mighty right hand, the Son of the living God, which is then applied to men by the might of the Holy Spirit. Countless passages throughout the, the scripture speak to this three-part execution of God's overcoming death. And it's first mentioned in Genesis 3.15. Here, God provides the promise of overthrowing Satan in what theologians have called the Proto-Evangelium. Genesis 3.15 reads, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Here God the Father proclaims Satan's demise from the seed of the woman. That seed is none other than Jesus Christ. And this happens very shortly after the fall of mankind. The promised redemption is there. The plan has been set in place. And God declares that both to Satan for his despise, and to mankind for his salvation. We understand that God the Father is all-powerful to make this decree. And we understand this from passages like Isaiah chapter 46. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 46, beginning in verse 8, a very familiar passage to our congregation. This is God talking to the people of Israel through his servant Isaiah. These are God's words. Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east. 
the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. That's God speaking of His decree, which includes Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Also, we know from that God's decree that Jesus Christ would suffer an ignoble death on the cross. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. A very familiar passage. Descriptive of the death of Christ. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened on his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he opened on his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion of the grain, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. You see, this great plan of God not only required that his, bruise, his heel be bruised, but he suffered greatly on a cross. Bearing the shame that we might be possessors of salvation. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, became man that we might become sons and daughters of the living God. 
God the Father sends His only begotten Son to die, that redemption and salvation from the curse of death might be made possible. When God becomes man in the person of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the end of Satan's tyranny over man is realized. Let me say that because I kind of put things in an awkward way. The beginning of the end of Satan's tyranny over man is realized. Truly the kingdom of God was at hand. Few places in Scripture speak as directly to this reality as Luke 11, verses 20 through 23. It is here that Jesus' critics accuse him of casting out demons in the name of Satan. And Jesus responds with these words. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Brethren, here the strong man is Satan, and the stronger man is Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, he came to strip Satan bare of his armor and then pillage Satan's house, dividing the spoils. And keep in mind that Jesus said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. With these passages, we have established God's plan to overcome death and that Jesus is the stronger man who can do battle with the prince of death. What we have yet to see is Jesus' actions to overcome death and the power exerted to that end. Brethren, in warfare, the two warring armies endeavor to overtake the other with cunning. Satan was no different when Jesus was born. First, Satan attempted to have Jesus killed through his minion, Herod, who decreed that all male children in Judea under three years of age be killed. Joseph and Mary fled with the baby Jesus to Egypt by the command of God to avoid this massacre. Later, Jesus would be tempted by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness. Satan hoped he might persuade Jesus to become a traitor against his own father. Jesus would have none of that. And after three years of ministry in Judea, Satan is down to his last weapons his most powerful weapons, which he trains on his opponent, Jesus, those being deception and death. Satan deceives men into trumping up false accusations against Jesus, which resulted in, a, in an unjust conviction. He is then sentenced to death by a weak civil magistrate who fears men rather than God. Satan no doubt delights in training his most potent weapon on Jesus, the weapon of death itself. Jesus, the scripture says in Hebrews 12, 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The powerful defender is not the defender who succumbs to an attack by his enemy, but rather endures the enemy's most vicious and potent attacks 
and rises to put down his enemy. That's a description of Jesus Christ. His ability and strength, his power, the power of Jesus Christ was to endure the greatest attacks of his greatest opponent and then rise the third day to put him down. Brother, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, the two great truths we find in our passage that bring this home for us are those that Paul says are the things that he seeks. To know the power of the resurrection along with the fellowship of the sufferings. Brethren, these truths are profound. The Greek word for power used here is dunamen, from which we get two English words, dynamite and dynamic. There is an explosive dynamic that attends the resurrection of Jesus Christ. An explosive dynamic that attends the resurrection of Christ. Paul is saying that he wants to know that powerful dynamic. Paul is not saying that he wants to merely be aware of it, that it's powerful. No. He is saying he wants to know it intimately. He wants to know it as surely as he knows himself. In fact, he wants to act from that power. Not just in the light of that power. He wants to use the power of the resurrection in his own life. Now we know this because of his wanting to also know the fellowship of his sufferings. What were the sufferings of Christ? Brethren, it included death. It included death. He wants to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. He wants to act in resurrection power and know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, which may eventuate in his death, and it does, that he might have the assurance that one day the promise of God will be fulfilled in him, that he too will rise from the dead. To die to oneself is to live in the revealed will of God and to live for others. These are the two great commandments that Jesus gave to us. And we approximate this in life in the power of the resurrection. So that in the next life we realize the fullness of its power. We approximate it in this life as we keep the two great commandments. But we realize it in the next. When God raises us from the dead. Brethren, Jesus calls us to abide in Him, both in John 6 and John 15. We'll be reading from those portions of the Scriptures as we have participate in the Lord's table in a few minutes. Brethren, to abide in Him means to know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Knowing the power of His resurrection should make us dauntless. That's a good word, dauntless. Children, if you don't know that word, it means without fear and very brave. To live in the power of the resurrection means to be dauntless. 
The one who lives in the power of the resurrection sneers at death. Death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? As we echo the scriptures. That's a dauntless person who lives in the power of resurrection. Brethren, we live in a day when the enemies of Christ have risen up and are taking the lives of Christians indiscriminately. Are you going to live in the power of the resurrection? Will you be dauntless in the face of the opposition as Christ was? Knowing for certain, because of His work, that one day you too will be risen from the dead, you will rise from the dead. That death has no strength with you. It is powerless to hold you. Will you be dauntless in the face of persecution? Brother, I think it's coming. Ask yourself those questions. Do I have that kind of faith? And if you waver, or if you've never considered that ever, to have faith in Christ such that I can face death for His namesake, and do it with assurance that He will raise me from the dead, if that doesn't describe you, you need to speak with me after the service today. I will make myself available to you. Salvation is near. It is at hand. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not the next. There is a king who sits on a throne at the right hand of God the Father in heaven to make intercession for those who bow their knee to him. And he will raise you up. Brethren, desire as Paul to know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of the sufferings. And you will do great things for the kingdom of God. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, your word has taught us that you have designed a great plan that your son Jesus Christ has executed it. And your Holy Spirit has come among us to open our eyes and our ears and our lips to know, see, hear, and speak the good things of God. For those whom the Spirit indwells, our hearts have been turned from stone to flesh such that we confess our sins before you and turn from them and ask for your great help in overcoming those temptations that come to us daily. To bring honor to the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who's done this great work. And to be dauntless in the face of the enemy. Father, help us to have that great courage. Help us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for the honor of our Savior's name. Father, this day as we once again remember the resurrection, as we do each Sunday, we give thanks that that power does not cease. It has no end. It has no shelf life. 
It continues eternally. And for those who have been placed in the palm of God's hand, we shall never be removed. And we shall receive that great and glorious resurrection as Jesus did, being the first fruits of our salvation. Father, build us up. Build us up in the faith that we could be dauntless in the face of the enemy. Not fearing men, but rather fearing the face of God over men and bringing honor to you. Father, we pray for the needs of your church. We give thanks that your church is steadfast and the gates of hell will not prevail against the onslaught of the church. We pray, Father, that in those countries where Christians are losing their lives for your namesake, that you will make them dauntless. Those who have lost their lives on this earth will once again rise from the dead in newness of life for the glory of your holy name. Father, help us not to fear that. Help those Christians in those nations not to fear it, but rather to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Help them to not grow weary in well-doing as the scriptures teach us. Help them to realize and know the fellowship of Christ's suffering and to do so with thanksgiving. Father, we have not suffered in this country as others have in, around the world, but those days may come to us. So we pray for that courage. We pray for that dauntless spirit. Help us to sneer at death. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Help us to have that attitude as we proclaim such good news as Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Help us to be stalwarts. Help us to be militant about our faith, such that many would hear this good news and turn to your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray also for those who in our church suffer from the effects of sin, sickness, disease. We pray for healing for them from the great physician, Jesus Christ. That healing may not come until the heavenly body is received and the resurrection provided. Yet, Father, we pray that even in this world you would give relief. Father, we pray for the mission of our small church here in Ludlow, that you would bless it, that we would be faithful to proclaim good news to our community in northern Kentucky. And we pray that you would draw many to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That men and women would seek the word of God in its fullness day by day. That they would cherish it as a pearl of great price. That they would labor to have a part and parcel of their lives, 
their meat and their portion. For indeed, it is food for the soul. And we are grateful. Father, we pray for those who are in authority over us, for those in the civil realm as well as in the church. And we pray, Father, that they be men who do justice, who love mercy, and walk humbly before you as the scriptures teach us. But Father, if there are those who govern, who have never bowed their knee to your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray that their sin would convict, be convicted by the work of the Holy Spirit and that they would turn from their sin and repent and recognize that you have raised them up to heights of authority and you have expectations of true justice and mercy. Give us men of faith to govern us. And Father, for those who hear the word of God are called by your Spirit to repent and who remain stiff-necked, who turn their back on the King, we pray that by your sovereign hand you would remove them from office and replace them with those who bow their knee to the Son and kiss the Son, lest he be angry and perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct us. Help us to long for the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of Christ's suffering. For we give thanks for this teaching today in your Son's name. And now let us join our voices together in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, praying together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.